Dr. Demento, and you are listening to KBOO Portland. This is your community-supported radio station, KBOO Portland. Before we get going with our programming, I want to remind everyone that you can donate today at kboo.fm slash give. We aren't in the station to take your calls, but you can show your support by giving online. Again, that's kboo.fm slash give. Or you can also mail a contribution to the station at 20 Southeast 8th Avenue in Portland. Thank you. Times Like Now is an interview podcast with interesting people doing cool stuff. And you can find past episodes where you get your podcasts, Spotify, Pandora, and more. Today I'm talking with Tim Herb Alexander, most famously known as the drummer from the band Primus. He's also the co-owner of Herb's Ciders, based in Bellingham, Washington. Looking forward to speaking with Tim about music, cider, drums, and much more on this episode of times like now. Hello, Tim. Welcome into the show. Thank you for joining me today. All right. Thank you. And first question to Tim Herb Alexander is, where did Herb come from? Uh, So back in the early days, um, late 80s is when I first joined the band Primus. And... um, I used to always carry around with me these little bottles of ginseng, and um, so I used to drink those a lot, and I always had these these herbs on me, <laughs> basically. So I, um, somebody, I think my guitar player, or Les, or both of them, both um, gave me the name Herb as a nickname. And that was it. So it's just constantly been with me. And I then, was uh, yeah, I was wondered if it was another specific herb. No, uh, no, that we've heard actually, of. actually, it was from ginseng. <laughs> right. No, and then no, and, and then these and then, Chinese then... herbs also. I had a buddy that was a uh, 
what do you call it? A, well, Chinese doctor, basically. And mm. I used to go see him whenever I was feeling ill or anything. And so he would give me these Chinese herbs, too, that were good for stomach and not feeling good. So I always had herbs on me. Right. And then, yeah, that was the other nickname, this, the ginseng drummer. Uh, yes. So that kind of, yeah, I, I guessed that was the case uh, after after that nickname. And yeah, I always, I always wondered if that was less and the band that gave you that name or if it was an older name possibly but oh no it was the primus days that that answers that answers that question so um lots of music to talk about lots of drumming to talk about i have been a fan of yours since the first earliest days of me hearing primus leaving portland oregon uh right after high school and moving to the bay area i was Mm -hmm. pretty immediately introduced to frizzle fry at the time and and it just it just it blew my mind it just it blew me out of the water i was a fan from from first listen uh from tommy the cat and primus sucks and uh then at that time i was also a a big fan of rush and i really i felt a i felt a real uh kinship between you and neil the the drumming uh even though a very different style of music I could hear a a definite influence. Is that one of your past influences was Neil Peart? Yeah, he was my kind of first big influence um, on how to approach drumming, yes. And that was mainly all I really listened to. Excuse me. Um, And then besides that, you know, I would say it was John Bonham in those early days with Led Zeppelin and then influence wise uh, I think the next guy that really got me was probably Stuart Copeland mm, Police right yeah yes, police. absolutely so that's yeah, maybe, uh, pretty major and uh, uh, maybe not as much but Bozio from Frank Zappa no and... you know I never listened to Bozio um, hmm. never listened to Zappa until way 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 later Till I met Larry, actually, in Primus. Okay. Because he, he was a big Zappa fan, and um, that's where I started hearing it. Okay. And my favorite drummers of the uh, – I mean, Basio is great. One of my favorite records is, is called the uh, Shut Up and Play Your Guitar. And oh. that was live, live jams in the seventies with Vinnie Caliuta on drums. And it is just insane. And it's the most incredible drumming, you know, for high technical ability, you know, and being musical and, and playing with Zappa at the same time. So it had an edge um, that I, you, you don't get in jazz but it had like this this kind of heavy rock but just technically so advanced from what other rock that was out there and so yeah i i heard that and i was like oh my god this is just what is this is incredible your name is mentioned among some of the the top yeah. tier top shelf rock drummers um, of the yeah, know, of the man. decades, um, I mean, right alongside with Peart and and some of the others, like you know, as we mentioned, uh, Danny Carey as well, who I know uh, you know very well. Yeah, yeah, Danny's a great drummer. 
There's so, so many uh, great drummers, you know, and I, I don't know how these these uh, lists come about, but yeah, I've I've kind of I'm aware of the fact that you know the music that Primus was making would definitely influenced uh, some bands in the '90s, you know. Let's hear just a little bit. The caliber of bass players that you play along with, you have to be your caliber of, of drummer to, to, to play along with, to keep up with, and, mm. to challenge, and to challenge as musicians do. So yeah, it, it only makes sense when the, the caliber of, of other musicians that you play well, well with that would put you in that top that top circle i think um speaking of perfect circle as well and mm -hmm. something that i did not know until i did a little reading online you played with blue man group yeah um explain did, that one to I me that's did. fascinating i'd like to see some of that video well you know it's it's interesting um it was a time after i left primus um and I had I had done some music with my my buddies in a band called Laundry, and we put out some music, and um, you know it just didn't have uh, I don't want to say success, but it just you know it just kind of wasn't going anywhere, and so I was I was feeling like I've got to do something here, you know, and I just kind of was done struggling with the music world and so I kind of thought I wasn't sure you know I wasn't into drumming I didn't know what I was going to do uh, went to Vegas and saw the show and it was basically just tons of drumming and I was of course really interested in it and I, I loved the show and everything but at a time when I was just so tired of playing drums <laughs> you know and, and not really enjoying it that much um, all of a sudden I find myself auditioning for the show and then it kind of helped me I ended up I, I, I auditioned twice I mean I, I got you know I, I did the first audition they invited me to come to the next one as a final and so uh, yeah it went well and I got got a gig playing drums in blue man i wasn't one of the blue guys uh that's that's more of an acting role um but there they do a lot of drumming as well but uh acting is kind of uh comes before the drumming part so i hadn't had really any acting experience and so um i was basically one of the drummers in the show and we were all dressed in black light so we were like these tribal tribal uh, characters that are kind of sitting way up above in these lofts but all the music was live um, there were, they had just few parts that were pre-recorded but everything in the show was live and it was really interesting because they were there was no written music. That's what's so crazy. Everything was learned by ear and by watching the show because in the show, all the drumming and music 
is uh, focused on what the blue men are doing and their their scenarios change minute to minute so sometimes we we basically have these main themes and we're we're all playing these themes and then we wait for something to happen and then we can change the theme so a ton of improv which i was really good at when the primus times cuz we always improved a lot um and so that was that show kind of got me back into playing drums. So well you had you had, you had left Primus in 96 and you returned Primus in 03, correct? Is that about right? Yeah, you know, yeah, I was in Vegas actually and Les came through town playing with his solo band. So I saw him, I went over and it was funny. Stuart Copeland happened to be there at that show also in Vegas. He was hanging out backstage. And so we did this song, uh, you know, Les's band was, I, I forgot what it was, if it was a frog brigade or something, but um, we ended up with me and Stuart Copeland playing together on stage at this show in Vegas. Wow. And that kind of opened up the Primus door again, and we started, you know, talking about doing stuff again, and we think we made an EP, the Animals Should Not Act Like People uh, EP, which had some really interesting tunes on it, and we did some tours for like a year or two later, and then we just kind of, nothing happened, and it just kind of fizzled away. And then, um, yeah, after that, it was, I think, uh, when did you do the stuff with, um, with man ring? Oh, so that, that was in the, that was in Mm -hmm. the nineties when I was still in Primus. I just, uh, uh, Michael Manring had called me or got in touch with me about, you know, doing, playing some music. And it was more instrumental, and he had more of a jazz background. And I, you know, I, I it, it turned out pretty cool for sure. Let's hear just a little bit of that. thing I played on his solo record first uh, me and Steve Smith and and then we ended up doing a project together called Attention Deficit and that was with me Michael and Alex Skolnick and the first record was entirely improv we went into a place with no plans and no ideas and just started recording and that's and we kind of pieced it together and Tried to make well, it I did not know that. I didn't. I did um, not know that. Uh, that's incredible. Yeah, it was all that was all improv, just listening and you know yeah. responding. It's a it's a great headphone uh, experience for sure. Nice. So a little bit about Primus. You're back in the group, and you guys had a big tour planned, as many other bands did as well pre-COVID, um, back in the old days, and you were going to do a Rush album. 
this well, is an incredible tour and and is this going to be yeah. back on on is this back on the line uh yes it is i've well i've i've um when i got back with the primus guys we did the record um first we did the chocolate factory album and we did and that's a, whole, a fun one we did a whole tour with that and that was kind of music to the you know we we, we love the original Willy Wonka movie so we kind of created music to that right and um, we went and toured that and then the next idea was oh we were going to do this Rush tribute which could be fun and this was this was a year before uh, Neil died and we were just going to do that for just something fun and then the next and then the next year the beginning of covid neil dies in january and then covid started later that year and then our tour got canceled and then we were supposed to do it last year and that got postponed and canceled um so yeah, I, I I I don't know if the timing is precise on that, but yeah, it was like it feels like it's been like two years of just we keep moving this thing and moving this thing, and then after Neil dying, then it turned it's it's almost looking like it was a tribute to Rush, and it was a tribute, what? But it was more of a we were going to do it because we we thought it would be fun. And now it's the, after Neil died, you know, it's it's kind of aimed. We're, we're not intentionally making it a tribute, but it's kind of got that element in it as well. So sure, I'm, yeah. and it's a uh, if it's um, farewell to Kings. Primus doing the entire farewell. To yeah, Kings. yeah, the whole record. Correct. And then, and then some Primus material after, because I, I yeah, think we'll probably do that. Record. I mean, whenever we do stuff, if we do special stuff, we usually have a set of like our regular stuff, and then we go off into whatever world we're doing. You know, we and sure. um, you know, we haven't we haven't even rehearsed yet once. I, I've just been <laughs> I'm I'm actually practicing. You know, like every day, every other day, right now getting ready for this so well i was going to ask if you've had any um covid hobbies but i imagine you've been uh, making new ciders because you also have your own cider company uh, yeah herbs, so, herb cider um yeah so we started we started the herb cider thing back in 2016 um and it took a year to finally get some product ready and so we launched it and um you know slowly we ended up getting a cider maker because I, initially i thought i was going to be the cider maker because i made the initial batch that we thought oh we'll start a business doing this and then you know as i as i got into it more um i had no experience in doing mass production of cider you know and once we started looking at the business of it and then it became my touring schedule on top of that, it became, um, 
they became a problem. And then that's when we, I, I had met uh, the cider maker who we have now, who was the original cider maker for Finn River uh, Cider. And uh, they've been around for like 20 years. But um, I met him and he was, he had left Finn River and was off uh, doing beer. He went and did wine and uh, did some other crazy things. And now uh, when I met him, he was an assistant brewer uh, brewing beer. And so I had asked him, you know, are you interested in getting back into cider again? Because we've, we're starting this cider company and, you know, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm going to be on tour, really can't uh, really focus on this. So we need somebody to make the cider. And so initially it started off with him just kind of saying, yeah, I'll just come up on weekends and help you out. And then before that even happened, it just turned into, hey, why don't you just move up here <laughs> to Bellingham and, you know, let's, we got to make this happen. So he became kind of the, you know, the start of it. Um, and then Finn River, actually, well, they, they made our first cider for us uh, for about a year until we were able to manufacture it ourselves. So, well, this was, this was uh, apples from your own orchard. If the I'm original correct. batch and, uh, yeah, was apples that okay. we had in uh, this small batch of trees we had at this place we were living at. So yeah, that's when I made some cider and yeah, that started it all. Well, yeah, I mean, I've been doing my homework here and, and, you know, your, your ciders are named after musical uh, musical phrases and things, yeah. mezzo forte, syncopation, right. et cetera, et cetera. And uh, you guys got best of uh, the Northwest out of Sip Magazine. Yeah. That was yeah, pretty cool. Uh, had a couple awards. Usually takes maybe right. maybe a little maybe a little longer than that to get your first awards, but apparently you're doing it right with um, traditional methods. And and you know I've never been a huge cider mm-hmm. fan, but I've I've been drinking them and maybe one too many the other night. I'm like, this is really. Uh, no sugar added traditional methods usually the ciders are just too sweet and and uh will give me a headache simply by looking at them but this was uh, a really fruitful uh flavorful light crisp really enjoyed it we've we've kind of guided uh the cider making into how you know my wife and i want it to be um you know she's uh an owner in this as well and um, so we kind of uh, kind of give our input on what we like and don't like, and you know we we have a similar palette to our cider maker. His is his is pretty advanced, and mine's pretty simple. And uh, my mm-hmm. wife as well; sure, hers is pretty advanced as well. So I I don't, I don't the... get the flavors that they get. You know, <laughs> I don't. It's really. But you're doing a, uh, a you're doing a bourbon cider, which is rather unique. Well, I it's think. so it's a it's, it's a, a cider that's aged in bourbon barrels. Right. So there's right. no actual bourbon in it, but it's the cider takes no. on the flavor of the oak. You know that was the bourbon that was soaked into the wood, and that really yeah. does add some. Uh, in ours, we get some good uh, notes of vanilla and caramel and it's it's crazy mm-hmm. how nice it is mm-hmm. it was no it was my it was my favorite of the uh, of oh, the few good. that i've tried uh, definitely i mean i'm a bourbon fellow as well so you know 
uh, anything in that in that realm is is right in my right in my backyard oh, yeah. and was reading reading over the website looking at some of the the material on the website for which is what, what is that website real quickly uh the herbsider.com yeah, 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 yeah. There we go. Uh, your your grandfather was a Kentucky oh, moonshiner. Yeah, and uh, I was reading some of that story, which is it reminded me of years ago. I once had because my grandmother was from Kentucky oh, uh, wow. from pre Prohibition era, and I asked her once when I was about twenty one. I said, "What was what was Prohibition like?" you know, 13 years or, or how, you know, it was roughly 13 years, I think. What was prohibition like at that time? And she says, well, prohibition didn't really affect us very much Yeah, <laughs> being, uh, being, being from Kentucky. So, yeah. uh, you know, may, may, maybe my grandmother uh, drank some of your grandfather's uh, moonshine. That'd be interesting. It is, it is possible, man. I, and from what I know, I, well, I, being in Kentucky yeah, certainly yeah. would have been it's, possible. It's, Absolutely. Yeah. And, um, from what I know, my, you know, the story is that my grandfather, he, my great grandfather, he, um, provided all the alcohol for all of the judges and the, you know, the, the armed law, you know, and then I guess they were forced to just by prohibition, they were forced to shut him down at some point. And then I, I was told that they his still was so beautiful that they had it on display in the courthouse. Now I, I'm I'm we're actually just beginning to investigate this a little bit more to see if we can actually find any info on that still where it is if it was really on display. But that's what my my grandma had told my mom. So yeah, and that's that's where we're well, at right you, now. If, we're trying to find out more. Right. If you know the small town or the town, whichever town it may have been, they're a historical society, a museum, you know, that sort of mm -hmm. uh, people are big into collecting history stuff. And you may very well find, oh, yeah, the museum's right there and they got a, you know, a whole thing to your grandfather. Maybe if you, you know, maybe take the tour out to Kentucky and do the bourbon tour. Right oh, out. I know, man. Someday I'll, I'll, I'll get out there. I, I think oh, our yes. fam me, me I think too, our I family hope. still has land there, so we're I'm curious, you know. There's gotta be more relatives out there I've gotta try to connect to. Well, I have really appreciated the opportunity to speak with you, Tim Herb hey, Alexander. Um it's really been it's really been a, a pleasure to hear these stories from you, hear about uh, the Primus days and, and the new ventures that you're doing. Um Yeah, no worries. Thank you. Yeah, thank you very much. Uh, what's the what, what what's what's on the horizon for Herbs Cider? Um, June fourth, we are opening our cider house, three one five five Mercer Avenue, right here in Bellingham, and because um, we closed it last year uh, because of all the shutdowns and. Um, but now we have it at our production facility, so uh, people can come. Uh, we're looking at maybe uh, op being open on like a Friday, Saturday, uh, not a full-time thing yet. So just like maybe one or two nights a week, just having come down in the evenings and drink cider, hang out, have some food. We will probably have some food trucks. Um, 
Yeah, and just doing like a night evening hangout down there at our production facility in our cider house. So that's that's fantastic. I that's I'll definitely starting be June around 4th. for sure. So we'll start there and yeah. uh, we'll see where it goes. Looking forward to the cider. Looking forward to the uh, Rush um, live concert as well. Oh, can't yeah. wait to see. I can't wait to see Primus. I, I think I'm going to try and make it to the Seattle or maybe the Portland show. Yeah. Uh, so we'll that's, see. that's starting uh, mid, I think mid-August is when that's right. going to be starting off. So yeah, keep your eyes out. Tim Alexander, thank you once again. Really right, do appreciate man. it. Thank and you. Uh, have a good night. Hey, you too. Past episodes of Times Like Now can be found wherever you find your podcasts, Spotify, Pandora, etc., and more. Thank you to the letter J, Cody Robertson, for original music. I'm Trevor Collins. I can be reached trevor at timeslikenow.com. Thank you for listening. I look forward to speaking with you next time. You're tuned into listener-supported community radio, KBOO Portland. Hi, this is Judy Collins, and you're listening to KBOO in Portland. Andy Wo-Wo looks a scream. Have him on my woe. Andy Wo-Wo, silver scream. Can't tell them apart at all. My name is Joseph Gallivan, and you're listening to Art Focus on KBOO Portland. My guest this week is Ryan Feddersen. She's a visual artist and a public artist, and her installation, Inhabitants, opens at the new Concourse B at Portland International Airport this November 2021. Thank you so much for doing Art Focus by Zoom, Ryan. Thank you, Joseph, for having me today. I love it when people do airport work. There's just something about that kind of commission. It's public. It's grand. You have big spaces to fill. I don't know where the budget comes from, but it's usually not that limited. So I always feel like artists get a chance to not you know play do their best work and then represent you know your so this work inhabitants it's a lenticular which is one of those things that when you move past it it changes the image so it's a series of like triangular rods as you walk along in the airport in the new concourse which doesn't open till november these images will change so tell us what the images are and what's the meaning of inhabitants and why you chose that format yeah, so um, I'm very excited to have this work at the Portland Airport. Um, it's a, a big jump for me in my public art career. As you're mentioning, uh, airports are a big part of the public art field, and I'm very excited to be working on this piece. It has several components, one of which is the sentinels, which are the lenticular metal panels. And this piece was a, I did the proposal initially before the selection. And when thinking about the criteria, talking about stewardship of the land, I wanted to think about stewardship a little bit differently. And so these lenticular panels are portraits of Pacific Northwest biomes, 
We have an exceptional number of biodiversity in our region, um, which includes all five of the major biomes. From Could you tell us what a biome is? A biome is a habitat that's suited specifically or where life is suited specifically to live in that habitat. And so they include things like tundra, aquatic, coastlines, forests, grasslands, and deserts. And so to have all of these 